0: Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word.
1: Let's start with our memory verse, and uh, I'll pray into the morning, and we'll, we'll get started. So if you want to grab that, our memory verse for June is 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Uh, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Lord, we thank you that you have given such a wonderful revelation to us that we are the temple. We are your temples, Lord. We are filled with your Holy Spirit. We ask, Holy Spirit, for another fresh outpouring this morning as we go through your word that you've given us lord i pray that you would give revelation to each person on this call this morning lord that there would be something significant that you would reveal lord that there wouldn't be a single person that gets off today lord that has not received something from your word so open our hearts our minds our ears everything, Lord, so that we can receive from you. We thank you and praise you. You are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll start with just a quick recap. Um, Pastor Terry's teaching was so excellent Um, yesterday. We had um, in Exodus 32 and 33, God delivering instructions so that he could dwell with his people. We saw the golden calf debacle and the Israelites breaking God's laws and literally Moses breaking God's laws in the smashing of the stone um, tablets as he went down the mountain and saw what they were doing. So we saw that they can have the promised land, but God's presence is not going to be with them in the same way that it was before. It will be an angel leading them and the people mourn at the prospect of going forward without God. God meets Moses in the tent, but it has to be set up at a distance, away from the camp. Moses tells him, teach me your ways that I may know you. He has a pure desire to know God and to be in God's presence. And we see Moses proclaiming that without your presence, God, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. They don't want to go unless the Lord goes with them. And we see that the Lord knows Moses by name. He requests that the Lord would show him his glory. And we're going to see that today in the chapters that we read. And we see Moses interceding on behalf of the people. And the Lord is responding to those who seek him. So for Exodus 34, um, the title of this chapter in my Bible, it said, The Covenant Renewed. So we're going to see God repairing this relationship. In a very simple terms, the relationship between God and the Israelites is not going so well. It's not going the way that God had desired for his people. They've broken the covenant of the law, and the covenant that the people had willingly agreed to, they've broken it. So God gives Moses instructions, again, to chisel out tablets to meet him on the mountain, and he reveals his presence And his character in this beautiful proclamation of his goodness, greatness, compassion, and mercy. Um, We're going to see Moses' reaction to this divine revelation, which is very powerful. And there's a renewal of the covenant and what God is going to do for Israel. We're going to see this um, promise repeated in the chapter. They're going to receive very specific instructions about setting themselves apart from pagan culture and what they are to do so God will be very very specific about that and Moses is miraculously sustained on Mount Sinai and he's physically impacted by being in contact with God's glory there's so much richness in this chapter for us to take today so as we are reading through this to just be aware of Moses's interactions with God, how Moses even reflects God's character, and just the impact of that um, on Moses in a physical sense. We finally conclude the chapter with Moses relaying the covenant of God to the leaders, and Moses veiling his face when he speaks to the people. So what I'd like to do is for us to read the chapter together. So if you want to um, turn to Exodus 34, we'll read the chapter and then we'll get into um, some of the uh, points that I've pulled out and, and share together. The covenant renewed. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, and if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and the harvest, you must rest. Celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast and do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover festival remain until morning. Bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. It's so wonderful to read the word of God together. Just reading that, I just feel the Lord's presence. So what I'd like to do is just go through some of the points um, of the chapter. And if you have questions, feel free to just put them um, in the chat so we can go through that after. Um, So at the beginning of the chapter, we see God calling Moses up to Mount Sinai again. So he's cutting two tablets of stone, just like the first ones. Moses had broken the first set of stone tablets, the ones that had been written with the very finger of God. He broke them because Israel broke the covenant. I had wondered when I first read that how, you know, it seems like such a horrible thing that these tablets got broken. And how could Moses do that? But I didn't understand the symbolism That was behind that, that those tablets got broken because the Israelites had broken uh, the, the actual commandments written on them. So he said, I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. After their great sin with the golden idol, Moses interceded for Israel and Israel repents. And then we see this chapter that God is restoring. So it's appropriate, that God then gives new stone tablets to the Israelites. Moses is acting as a mediator between God and the people. The people couldn't deal with God directly because of their own sin and rebellion. So Moses bridges that gap for them. And then we see in verses 5 and 6 that the Lord descends in the cloud again, and he stands there with Moses, and he proclaims the name of the Lord. And the Lord passes before him. Now, this cloud that descends, and we've seen that before. And the cloud mentioned is no doubt that cloud of glory known as Shekinah. And so we've seen this when in Exodus 19, when the cloud covered Mount Sinai. We saw it when the cloud went with Israel by day in Exodus 13. We saw it as it stood at the tent of Moses in Exodus 33. We see it filling Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles. And we see it overshadowing Mary at the conception of Jesus. And then again, it was present at the transfiguration of Jesus in Luke 9. And we see again that it is going to be present when Jesus returns in Revelation one seven, Moses experienced the character of God in a dramatic way. It was an emotion and a feeling. Um, in Exodus thirty three eighteen, Moses boldly asks, "Please show me your glory." After that, God promises to reveal His presence to Moses, or as much as His presence that Moses could actually bear to experience. So not only did Moses have that emotion and the feeling of it, God in his mercy actually gives Moses words to explain what he's actually like, what his character is. So we see this revelation of God's character to Moses in verses 6 and 7. And the character, he reveals it in words. He calls himself merciful gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity. And then we also see him proclaim that he will be visiting iniquity upon the children, uh, the father's children, and the generations going forward for those who hate God. So there is that tension we see, again, of God's mercy and love, but we also are reminded that God is just. Now, as God is proclaiming um, this and revealing his character to Moses, he reveals it not just by the, the presence of the cloud, but by words. And as this happens, Moses has a powerful spiritual experience rich with feeling and emotion. God didn't want his revelation to only be feeling and emotion, but he wanted to connect to the whole person. So we have these beautiful words that we can hold on to. And just a point about God saying how he is long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, we see that God never gives up on Israel. He truly is long-suffering. and He proves that throughout the scriptures. And we see that Moses reflects God's character as he is long-suffering, as he could have been frustrated and given up on the people and, and what they've done, but he continues to intercede. And I just want to quote from a theologian, Irwin, who had this beautiful description of God being long-suffering and abounding. So it says, not merely adequate, but abounding is this great God of glory. He has barns and silos full of love and faithfulness. He is stacking it in the streets, looking for a distribution system. I just thought that was so powerful and also just this revelation that we are God's distribution system of this love of his glory of his goodness and truth and as God has revealed his character we are to take on that character of God and reflect his image and that we are to be silos of love and faithfulness so we are as we are the temple of his holy spirit And we see God, I'm showing his goodness towards us and his forgiving character. And I'm sure that we've all experienced that many, many times in our lives. This revelation of the character of God to Moses forever puts away the idea there is a bad God of the Old Testament that is in contrast to the good God of the New Testament. God's character of love and mercy and grace is present in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament. His loving, gracious, and giving character does not cancel out his righteousness. And because of the work of Jesus, the righteousness of God is satisfied, and the grace and mercy of God are righteously given. Then we see Moses reacting in verses eight to nine to the revelation God has given about who he is. And we see Moses with his head toward earth, bowed low, and he worships. The first and primary reaction of Moses was just to simply worship. When we come to know who God is and we really experience his great love for us, the most practical thing it can lead us to do is worship him more than ever. And he says to God, if I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Moses is asking for the goodness and grace and mercy of God to be extended to himself and to the nation of Israel. And Moses knows that they don't deserve it. And he includes himself in that. He says, I know we are a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. And so he is asking for God's grace and not his justice in this moment. When we know that God is good, we can ask him for his goodness. When we know he is gracious, we can ask him for his grace towards us. So the knowledge of God is not a passive exercise. It's a present and interactive exercise of proclaiming who he is and asking for what we need. And we see the renewal of the covenant in verse 10 and 11. This was God's covenant and that Israel was invited to join. He did not negotiate the terms with Israel. Instead, he dictated the terms to the people of Israel through Moses. And so we see um, this deliverance of that and what God is going to do if the people agree to this and follow. So Israel as a nation had a choice regarding the great things that God was Talking about, he said to them, I'm going to do marvelous, wonderful things that no one has ever seen before. So, either the great things would be a blessing, so impressive that every nation would know that God alone had blessed Israel, or the great things would be curses, so horrible that every nation would know that God had chastised Israel and yet kept them as a nation. Either way, God would glorify Himself through Israel among the nations. And then we see this promise that God is saying, I'm going to drive out your enemies in the promised land. God promised to do what Israel could not do by itself. He would drive out the nations of Canaan, allowing Israel to take possession of what God promised to give them. We see that God in verse 12 and 16 is commanding, actually, the Israelites to be separate from the Canaanites in worship, in politics, fellowship, and marriage. And we wonder maybe, you know, why would God be so specific that they cannot intermingle with these people? But God knows that they are a stiff necked people. He knows that they are weak. So we can also look at this as an extension of God's love and mercy, that he knew that if they intermarried with them, they were not strong enough to keep the commandments that he was giving. So God did not want Israel to assume any of their sinful practices found in the culture of the Canaanites. He wanted a relationship only with them. As he said, I am a jealous God. But part of that was for their own protection. We see the Lord again in uh, verse 17 that Israel must renounce idolatry. So he is repeating this command that they already broke with the golden calf idol. No molded image could come close to displaying the glory of God, even in the partial sense of what Moses saw on Mount Sinai. So there's this stark contrast to the incredible glory that Moses experienced on the mountain. And then we can think about the golden calf and the Israelites dancing around the fire, worshiping this golden calf. It it doesn't even come close to the glory that God wants to reveal to them. So he is saying you must renounce all idolatry. Now, Israel must also keep the feast of unleavened bread, and we know that a yeast is a symbol of sin. So he, the Lord wants the people to be pure and to put away all sin. So Israel is walking in that symbolic purity. That's why they take that time to have those seven days of unleavened bread. And then we see also many other laws that the Lord is giving them regarding Israel's separation from other nations about offering up the firstborn. And so it is simply appropriate for the creature to honor the creator by giving unto him. So the Lord is asking for them to give back to him. Here God even promises supernatural protection for an obedient Israel when they go to these feasts. So the Lord has made all of these commands. And um, one thing I didn't pick up the first time that I had read this through is that the Lord has asked them three times a year to send every male to these uh, feasts, which means that the Israelite people would be completely vulnerable. All the women and the children would be left alone. But God makes this incredible promise. It would be a supernatural protection for them to remain safe for those feasts. But again, it requires Israel to be obedient, to experience this supernatural protection of God. So the Lord is asking that the first fruits of their land shall be brought in to the house of the Lord. So giving the first and the best is a way to honor God as provider of all things. And we see that now in our practice um, as a church body, giving the first fruits um, in the tithe and the principle of the tithe. And we see also how the Lord is talking about uh, not boiling the young goat in its mother's milk. And I believe this might have already been mentioned, but that is, does sound like a very strange um, command. But the Lord does not want them to imitate the cruel pagan fertility rituals practiced among the Canaanites. So God is very, very specific. Um, we see Moses goes through this incredible, miraculous fast on Mount Sinai in verses 27 and 28. He is sustained for 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. There's so many miracles um, contained in this, uh, in this chapter. So we know that um, this was a powerful evidence of the truth. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as people, we know that we cannot live for 40 days without water. We know food, yes, but not without water. So we, we see so many times these miracles of God throughout this. Now, when Moses comes down from the mountain in verses 29 and 30, Moses's face is shining. He has been in the presence of God. He has come in such close communion that he is physically impacted. And what's remarkable is that he actually has no clue that he is shining like this. He has no idea what we would expect if someone is coming out of a 40-day fast or any long-term fast is that they would look pale and sickly, but instead Moses is radiating the presence of the Lord. It is true that a life with God affects the physical appearance and especially the face. The peace, love, joy, and goodness of God should be evidenced on the face of the one who follows Jesus. I found that so um, powerful, thinking about that and just asking myself, do I reflect the Lord's peace? Do I have that joy? Can others see that in me? So beautiful. And then we see this in another time in the Bible. I don't know if anybody remembers who that might be, but in Stephen, in Acts 6.15, We hear that Stephen's face shone um, with God's glory. And one point um, to keep in mind is that there was a humbleness about Moses and Stephen. And uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote this really uh, amazing quote about both Stephen and Moses, comparing it to just us as ordinary people. He says, I am afraid, brethren, that God could not afford to make our faces shine. We should grow too proud. It needs a very meek and lowly spirit to bear the shinings of God. I thought that was so beautiful. So, verses 32 or 31 and 32, Moses relates the covenant of God to the leaders of Israel. So, he draws them in when he gets down from being with God and he explains to them all that he has heard, all the commandments that God has instructed him. But we see that the people of God, their leaders even, they're afraid to go near him because of his face um, shining. So because of that, Moses actually has to put a veil over his face. And every time he goes in with God, Moses uh, removes the veil. But when he's with the people, he places this veil over his face. So it is easy to think that Moses wore the veil so the people would not be afraid uh, to come near him or that the purpose of the veil was to protect others from the glorious radiance of Moses's face. Yet the Apostle Paul explained the real purpose of the veil, not to hide the shining face of Moses, but so that the diminishing glory of his face would not be observed because because the glory was fading away. So that's an interesting um, revelation there. So I just want to uh, bless and pray for all those who are going to be going off um, to their work. So Father God, I thank you for being with us this morning. I thank you, Lord, for those who are going to be uh, getting ready for work. God, would you provide for them everything that you need? May they experience your grace, your mercy, your kindness today. Lord, may they take with them revelation that you have revealed to them. May your word continue to produce truth and goodness in their hearts, Lord. And may their faces shine, Father, with your glory, with your joy today, Lord. Thank you that we can come to you with all that we need. Be with them and be with us, Lord, as we discuss this. And Father, bring revelation to each of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.